You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday and happy Women's History Month and happy big news for your girl day. It's a solo Spain and Fitz. Fitz was going to be here. He was going to help me break my big news. We're going to do a little ladies night. Unfortunately, he is out. Everything's fine. He should be back soon, but get a solo Spain night here on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, and the ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive. All sorts of guests coming through on the Goodyear hotline. Like I said, ladies night. We are kicking off Women's History Month right tonight with some of my all-time faves. And joining me to break a little news now, let's make it Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, is Hall of Famer, all-around superstar, Host of an ESPN podcast, ESPN soccer analyst, one of the greats, 99ers, owner of Angel City. It's Julie Foudy. What's up, Julie? <laughs> Hello. Hi, Welcome Spanner. to Ladies Night. Yeah. First guest on Ladies Night, and I'm bringing you through right off the top of the show, because today, finally, after months of having to keep it secret, which, as you know, is not my forte, keeping my mouth shut about anything. Uh, we finally got to announce the new ownership group for the Chicago Red Stars of the NWSL. And your girl is a professional sports team <laughs> owner. And it is only because of you. Now, if I had seen Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and Mia Hamm and, you know, Natalie Portman and Jennifer Garner, I would have thought it was cool, too. But it's because of you, my friend, that I believe that this was something I could do and should do. And I want you to tell everybody about how you and Angel City just like got this kicked off and, and how it's been for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Woo-woo. Um, what was your question? I was so impressed <laughs> in what you were saying. I didn't even hear it. Tell me about... How you guys kicked this off. I know Natalie Portman essentially saw Abby at an event talking about how she had to plan out her next career despite being one of the all-time greats. She thought, that's BS. Why aren't women in doing all the stuff men are doing after their careers, owning stuff and running right. stuff? So you right. start your own team. How's that been for you? I mean, you guys announced months ago, so you're a little ahead of my game. Yeah. How's it been? Like, Are you actually sitting in Zoom meetings with like Natalie Portman and Jennifer Garner talking about <laughs> uniforms and concessions and stuff? <laughs> We actually, in the last few days, truth be told, uh, Abby, Mia, and I have been on Zoom calls for Angel City like three hours a day. Wow. (laughs) And, yeah, and we're interviewing for a big position at Angel City. And I said to a friend today, but it's so fun because you're hanging with these awesome women all the time (laughs) who are so like-minded that I don't even mind. I'm like, yes, sign me up. So, um, I wonder if Natalie says the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Natalie's like yeah, I'm I filming Thor. Thor. I got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's not as accessible as us. Um, but yeah, that, I mean that's the that's the beauty of. And I'm not kidding. Literally, once a week, I get someone saying to me, "Hey, how do I get in on a team?" Yeah, and I mean we've seen. So what you are doing, Spain with. Chicago Red Stars. We've seen uh, Naomi Osaka in, uh, with North Carolina. We've seen uh, Chelsea Clinton and Jenna Bush and Brianna Scurry in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's it's contagious. Look out. Yeah, it Holy really soccer. is. We're taking over the world. It really is. So um, Foudy, Julie Foudy with us here. She's one of the owners of Angel City FC, which will not be in action until next season. One of the expansion teams that's coming as the NWSL is growing. I want to talk to you about the She Believes Cup. We had Megan Rapino on uh, right before the first game of that. What did you take away from it? Because 
there's this influx of young talent on the U.S. Women's National Team ahead of the Olympics and the World Cup, but the OGs came through like, ah, 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 not ready. We are all going to score. We are all going to show you how it's done. It's pretty fun to watch. I know. And with Megan Rapinoe, I mean, when you think about, I don't, I didn't hear the interview with her um, that you did, but when you think about, she took a full year and understandably so. I mean, she is the star of the 2019 World Cup. She's going crazy with promotional stuff, with games, and then you're just exhausted. So I actually think having an extra year for this Olympics, if they do indeed take place in July, will be this gift because it's such a hard, tight turn. It's why no one has won a Women's World Cup and then won the Olympics the very next year. No women's team has ever done that because it's so tight. And when you win, and especially here in the United States, I mean, the attention and the promotional aspect, and as female athletes, we still realize, like, we only have this tight window to actually capitalize in on that. And so they do, and it's tiring, and you're all over the place. And so I think actually her and and her having the courage to say, I need time, I need to mentally rest, I need to physically rest. Um, And now you're seeing her step back after this long runway and say, okay, I'm back in. And people were like, was it too long? Is it, she's you know, pretty good. She's going to be 36. <laughs> yeah, and she's looking. She's leading the team in goals right now with five goals on this calendar year. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Insane. Yeah. Uh, it's a solo span and fits on ESPN Radio uh, Ladies Night here as we start off Women's History Month. Julie Foudy with me here. We are now rival owners in the NWSL, the oldest and longest running women's professional soccer league in the world with the best talent We don't know who your talent's going to be because you guys don't have a team yet. You will have a team coming soon. Mine is the oldest and winningest. And we got a lot of those U.S. (laughs) Women's National Team players on the Red Stars. Do you feel confident even trying to step to me with any trash talk when you don't actually have any players to back it up? That's the weirdest kind of trash talk I've ever heard. I know. We have no players, no coach, no technical director yet, but I will start talking trash. Um, I know. I was actually looking at your roster the other day, and I was like, damn, Chicago's good. Yeah. We're going to have to steal some of these players. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing. We are truly going to be enemies when this whole expansion team thing actually starts <laughs> taking players away from the teams that are already in existence. Um, Foudy, I, uh, I, we were, we were just announcing this red stars while JJ Watt was of course trying to steal the shine from his wife's team, uh, by announcing that he mm-hmm. was heading to the Cardinals today. That's the other fascinating thing too, is all the kind of ancillary and, and, and NWSL mm-hmm. adjacent people, right? JJ Watt, uh, of course, his wife is on the team. Uh, Julie Ertz, her husband, Zach Ertz from the Eagles, at least for now. Uh, Carla, uh, uh, Dansby Swanson, who's dating Mallory Pugh from our team. What's going on with the Angel City, like in terms of the auxiliary folks? I know you already are hanging out with this nonstop famous people that are actually owners, but are they just like also bringing around friends where you're like, ooh, I didn't expect to see Phil in the blank today just hanging out at Jennifer Garner's house? Well, time out. I, I saw your excitement over p- them possibly coming to the Bears with uh, their yeah. You know, I was trying my best being in oh. the city. I know <laughs> I, you were trying to work that karma. I could feel that. <laughs> um, well, it's it is it is always very interesting because I do feel also like there's a new owner announced uh, a mo- per month. You know, right. like um, yeah. You guys have a lot. You know, Becky, 
Yeah, Becky G and then Lindsey Vaughn and Candace Parker and, of course, Billie Jean and Alana, her, her partner. So they're all these. And, and then um, the YouTube influencer that my kids, like, they'll see it on Instagram. My kids will yeah. go absolutely crazy. And I'm like, I don't even know who that is. I'm so, like, out of that. <laughs> who is it? It was David uh Dobniak, I think, who's like, they're like, Mom, do not say out loud that you do not know who that is. It's like, I don't follow him on YouTube. Okay, well, you're going to have to learn. That's going to be your business partner. So, I mean, you need to bring a little little respect to the table for the person with 8 million followers that you've never heard. Uh, Well, Foudy, I'm excited to talk smack. I'm excited to get on the road and beat the brakes off your squad. I'm excited to lift a trophy (laughs) above your head. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) And I appreciate you coming on to help celebrate the news. Uh, Lots of Zoom drinks to be had in the near future to celebrate. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the NWSL family, my friend. We're so happy to have you. Thanks, Fowdy. Ladies night soon. Yeah, in person. In person. Uh, Julie Fowdy, she's the best. Uh, Please, please follow Julie Fowdy on social media. She will make you smile. Please listen to Julie Fowdy's podcast. Uh, It is full of incredible guests. It's called Laughter Permitted. Check it out. And uh, I'm really excited for the ramp up to the Olympics and the World Cup and all that other good stuff when we get more Fowdy. More Fowdy is always good. She's bringing you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. I'll tell you a little bit more about this whole being a professional team owner a little later in the show. But we got some big news, like I said, right at the same time. The biggest free agent, biggest, biggest, is officially off the market. We'll tell you who next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you were wondering uh, where some of these big names during this crazy, chaotic NFL offseason were going to land, you have to still wait for those quarterbacks. Is Russ actually headed out of Seattle? What's happening with Deshaun Watson? We're still waiting on those two, but a big name dropped some big news today and broke it himself. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Jason Fitz is off tonight, so you got Solo Spain on ESPN Radio, the Sirius XM Channel 80 and the ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. J.J. Watt, self-reporting his news. Source, him. Destination, Arizona Cardinals? What? This isn't the team we all had on our radar. We thought maybe go ring chasing in Tampa Bay. Maybe go back to his roots in Wisconsin and team up with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I thought, of course, come to Chicago near where your wife plays for the Red Stars. Easy easy commute to go watch her play. But the Arizona Cardinals? Well, here's the landscape that he had in terms of interest, and here's why he wanted Arizona, according to our own Jeff Darlington. He had this collaboration with some of these players, familiarity with Vance Joseph in terms of the defense, uh, something that he he worked under Wade Phillips in, in Dallas. So all of that came into play. But we're talking about a guy who did have interest from other teams with Cleveland and Buffalo. And by the way, uh, another team that wasn't really getting much talk, the Tennessee Titans, uh, also coming in with an offer for J.J. So he had a lot of options, a lot of competitive options. But ultimately, he liked the familiarity, what he had in Arizona. And he liked the fact that there was some courtship involved here. So uh, J.J. ultimately feeling very wanted, very paid, by the way. Very paid, by the way. Yeah, this is a guy that a lot of us kind of scratched our heads at least about the decision to leave 
uh, the Texans, not because it's a flaming dumpster fire that everybody should want out of, but because he had a lot of money coming his way for a guy that's on the back end of his career. But he finds the money he's looking for, two years, that'll be worth $31 million, 23 of it guaranteed. And he teams up with another guy who maybe at the time was bummed to get traded out of uh, the Texans, but is now feeling pretty good about it in DeAndre Hopkins. What I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall for those two teaming up and talking about what the hell just happened with the Texans organization, right? Watt asking for his release. Hopkins traded away in a deal that was completely one-sided. And he ends up with the Cardinals. How much does he have left in the tank? That's the big question that all these teams interested had. And, of course, uh, what the Cardinals are wondering as they give him a decent chunk of change and look at this former three-time defensive player of the year and and see how he can help them. Well, one of the things that's certainly on their minds, if he is able to give even a percentage of what he did before, is what he can do to pressure opposing quarterbacks, whoever they might be. And Dan Orlovsky today was on Get Up talking about that. First of all, who's playing quarterback for Seattle and who's going to be playing quarterback for San Francisco? We don't necessarily know, necessarily know those two answers definitively, okay? So let's play the assumption game that it is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo and it is going to be Russell Wilson. You better be able to get after the quarterback. You know, as your offense progresses along in Arizona, the best thing that you could do to help that offense but also help your team win games is to go hunt the opponent's quarterback. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that if he can help um, an Arizona team that finished eight and eight, right? That really needed help with their front seven. If he can change that and make it into a team that can get after opposing quarterbacks, that's going to help a lot in that division. Um, some interesting back and forth. We, we saw a lot of people, a lot of NFL players. It's starting to feel a little bit like the NBA with just the, the straight up thirst traps and, and the, and the, uh, the offerings up on social media to come to their team, whether that's Deshaun Watson or Russ. And now we see, of course, that, um, you know, Chandler Jones <laughs> offered to be his personal chef. Now he's kind of uh, putting it on his IG story. What do you want to eat? I guess I signed myself up for this. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is a guy that even if skill wise, he's not at his peak powers. We know who he is as a person and as a leader. And uh, Lewis Riddick, I think uh, all these all these uh, Lewis Riddick was on NFL Live or Lovsky, I misspoke, was on NFL Live. Um had a lot to say about who he is as a person and what that could do for a young Arizona team. What exactly is the effect that J.J. is going to have on this football team, given what he is at this point in his career, which is still a very good pass rusher, but he's not the same dominant every down player that can affect all three downs every single play for greater than 60, 70 percent of the snaps. So really, where does his impact come? I think his impact is going to come as far as the professionalism that he probably is going to demand of everyone else around him. And by that, I mean this. On defense, what really haunted the Cardinals in 2020? It really it was about situational football. It's about two-minute football. It's about too many penalties. Right. Not getting off the field on third down because of penalties. Those kinds of things. You, a guy like him, you can help really reemphasize those kind of things to guys as far as their professionalism is concerned. 100% agree with everything Lewis Riddick had to say. By the way, Solo Spain, Sarah Spain here for Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You put him together with defensive end Chandler Jones. The two have the most sacks in the league since Jones was drafted. And, uh, you know, Jones, of course, injured, only played five games season before he went on IR. But you put those two guys together and you have the professionalism, the leadership, the veteran presence there, and it can change a team. 
He's also teaming up with his uh, defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph, who was with the Houston staff as the defensive backs coach back 2011 to 2013. So there's familiarity there. If you thought he was going to maybe go ring chasing, this isn't the place. But if he's teaming up with some guys he's familiar with and he's teaming up in it and, and feels good in that defense, that's certainly part of it. Now, if you're Bart Scott, you're not so sure it's about familiarity or a defense that you know. Uh, on his own show, Barton Hahn today, he said, this is about cash. This seems like a money play. Guy coming off a $100 million contract seems like that would be secondary. You know, trying to cement his legacy and be able to get a championship or play for a championship. This is a guy, I believe, that's never been past the second round of the or, – or never been past the second round of the playoffs. Never been to an AFC championship. Always playoffs. falling short. Always falling short. And he had an opportunity, I believe. He's going to the fourth best team within the division. Not in the NFC, just in the division. It is a bit of a surprise, right? Um, I think we all have different mythologies about J.J. Watt. There are certain people that think that who he is as a person, whether that's his charitable efforts, his social media presence, all that stuff, is fake. I don't. I'm not cynical enough to believe that someone can't be a great athlete and a good person who does right by his teammates and his community and seems to be an incredibly supportive husband to his, his, his badass wife. All those things fly for me. I don't I don't think it seems fake. But I guess I would have thought differently of the way he might want to close things out. I thought he would go somewhere that was on the precipice of winning it all. Because when you spend years with the Texans, a team that always felt pretty close, you'd think you wouldn't want to get somewhere that was 8-8, eight and eight, that was behind some really talented teams in their own division. But I guess it's tough to say exactly what he was looking for Unless it was money. And if that's the case, then get yours, right? On your way out, you only got a couple years left. If that's the motivating factor, then go ahead. Go ahead and get yours. Um, you know, it's nice weather, right? It's a good place to live. Who knows what else factor? And I'm sure we'll be hearing more from JJ. All we got was, of course, he's working out in the shirt of the team he joins. Uh, that's peak JJ, right? <laughs> I'm already I'm already lifting in my gear for the Cardinals. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight. Coming up, Lebr- LeBron versus Laton. Who did their homework? Who handed it in on time? And an expert on this joins us to talk about it. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz, solo Spain on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer is changing the way you buy home insurance. Now you can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. So if you're regular listeners to this show, you know that last week uh, Fitz and I closed out the show on Friday with a little sports tinder. And when we got to the topic of Zlatan Ibrahimovic saying to LeBron James, do what you're good at, stay out of politics, talking about how he doesn't like people who achieve great success at something and then use it to talk about social issues or politics or other things that matter. Um, Our response to that was just fart noises, not because it's not worthy of a discussion, but it feels like we've been having this discussion for years, right? This is all very similar to the conversations around Colin Kaepernick, which spawned conversations about other athletes, which got us to a point where I think you've either decided that you want successful athletes, musicians, actors, whatever. You want people who have achieved great success at some art that entertains you to just do that and not affect your delicate sensibilities 
by speaking about an issue you may not agree with them on. You're either that person or you're willing to accept that these are human beings, fully fleshed out people who are going to care about things outside of whatever it is that they're good at, that are going to care about things that affect them, right? That are going to care about the fact that they actually um, have some influence. And, And part of the problem, of course, is that you get into some sticky elements of this, which include that a lot of times people of color in this country are only able to achieve a value and a voice and an agency if they've been really successful at something we love and accept people of color entertaining us with, sports and music and everything else. Jamel Hill's going to join us and chime in on this. Jamel, we're talking, of course, about LeBron responding to Zlatan, which is why I decided to finally address. I was going to let Zlatan's comments die off, but when LeBron speaks to it, I want to get into it. And I think part of the stickiness is that a lot of people, particularly white people, really want black people to entertain them. And then they don't want to have to think about any other part of who that human being is and what their lived experience is. That's the thing that keeps coming up to me when I hear people say, I don't want to hear anything outside of your your sports. Yeah, especially, um, and thanks for having me on, Sarah. And also, congratulations Thank on your you. ownership stake. Yes. Um, no, I think that is the crux of it. And if you think about other athletes who are not black, who have spoken up about certain issues that they care about or throw their passions behind, we don't hear that same level of noise mm-hmm. around them. I mean, I distinctly remember when Tim Tebow uh, some years ago, appeared with his mother in a pro-life ad, and I didn't hear a whole lot of people telling Tim Tebow to stick to sports. Um, or, uh, you know, there was no general noise created around that beyond it was a Super Bowl um, commercial, a big platform, and it was fine. If that's what he believes, then by all means. But uh, it, F- it definitely when it comes to black athletes, there's a different reaction. And in this case, it was really... Um, confusing why Zlatan would say this because, you know, just about uh, maybe eight or nine years ago, he was talking about how much he loved Muhammad Ali. Right. And he, yeah. And then he's also somebody who, uh, you know, parents immigrated to Sweden and he's spoken before about the racism that he faced in Sweden. So he's talked about these issues before and a, a large part of what LeBron has thrown himself behind is not necessarily political. Like I don't consider wanting to combat and fight racism to be political. That's just simply right and wrong. Voter suppression is wrong. And uh, these are not issues that I think um, that we should still be debating and arguing about. LeBron used his platform and his money to put, uh, you know, to, to talk about and discuss and put some action behind the things that he cared about. And I just don't understand why so many people have such a problem with it or rather I do understand, but it's just nevertheless still disconcerting to see. Right. And it's, it's obviously his work with the I promise school is incredible. That tends not to get criticized, right? Doing things outside of sports is fine unless they are on this sort of invisible line where we can very easily clear the two, uh, see the two sides of the argument, right? So the more than a vote organization the voting rights stuff, anything relating to issues of, of power within our country and who has it and who's asking for more of it or equity or equality. That's where people tense up and decide they don't want to not like you anymore because you disagree with them on things. Now you're right about Slotin's past. And he's a, he's a guy who's mouthed off a lot. And most of it we found funny, right. Um, Offering up uh, you're welcome to Los Angeles when he arrived to play in the MLS. And I think cracking a joke about how he could 
birth a bunch of future soccer stars with the women of L.A., if I remember that correctly. Like, usually there's kind of like a shrug. But this is a very strange stance for someone who's spoken about this stuff in the past. Do you think that this is something that we're gradually getting more used to? Or does it feel like in the last couple of years, even as the larger country seems to be having conversations about these issues, the sports world is still digging its heels in? Uh, no, I do think that it, it, we realize, I think there has been some acknowledgement by the public that athletes are just not going to stay quiet. And whether you agree or not, I think people kind of know what the deal is, especially with all the things that we saw that happened in 2020 between Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. I, I think there's just been an understanding by the public that I'm sorry, you're just going to have to hear about the conditions that many of these uh, black athletes come from. The fact that many of their friends and family are still vulnerable to the types of things that are happening and them using their platform to speak to what they, what they care about. I mean, with Vlatan, it was not only strange that he did this, it also wasn't very smart because LeBron <laughs> James just brought Los Angeles a championship. And if he right. thinks that anybody here is going to be signed with him, he's got that sorely mistaken. It just seems like a weird heel to die on with one of the most popular athletes in the world. And it was just a complete unsolicited L. Like, it just didn't even make any sense why he would want to venture down that road. But nevertheless, to your to your larger question, um, there's always going to be some resistance, but I don't think that the toothpaste is going back in the tube. We're not going to revert to where we were maybe four or five years ago, where the stick to sports crowd was really obsessively loud. I don't think that's going to happen as much because even they realize it's just a dumb argument to make now. And, um, you know, if your issue is that you don't want the athletes that you like to be talking about these things, well, you have a choice. You cannot watch them. And right. it's not like they're really being bombarded with it. It's that uh, at all. I mean, you watch the game, 99% of the games are still about the game, right? So it's it's not anything that I think that is requiring people to do the sort of mental gymnastics that they feel like they're having to do. It's like, okay, on sports talk radio and on you know commentary shows, they're talking about LeBron James discussing politics or other things. Like, so what? It's like you can still watch the games. It's not like it's really causing you a great inconvenience. So I, but I do think that that crowd has been hopefully effectively silent. Yeah, I do think we're still going to always hear, they're shoving it down our throats by me choosing to read all the articles and then commenting on them and then fighting with people about it in the <laughs> right. comments. Uh, it's Spain right. and Fitz. I'm talking to Jamel Hill. She's a writer for The Atlantic. She has her own awesome show with Carrie Champion on Vice and uh, her own production company, and she's just doing lady boss stuff. Uh, let's talk quickly about this Atlantic story that you wrote um, America didn't need sports after all. This is a fascinating thing because as someone who's been hours every night since the pandemic started trying to gauge this this need for sports versus the practicality of it and feeling like there was just a constant cognitive dissonance of I know that this is probably not necessary or needed. And yet I do understand that it's a nice distraction for people. What was the end result of looking at all of the the ratings being down across everything except for the WNBA and the NWSL and what you're seeing in sports now? Well, I, I do think um, that some of it was timing in the sense of that we had sports going on at times of year that sports isn't usually going on. Um, the NBA Finals isn't usually in October. Uh, so I think the displacement of many of these sports um, that had a lot to do with it, do with it. And, but I just in talking to a lot of sports fans and even thinking about how I consume sports, um, 
it was just a lot different in 2020. It was harder. And even especially with college football in particular, where you had, you know, well over 100 games that were canceled or, you know, postponed, like things were just shuffling around so fast that sometimes as big of a sports fan as I am, it was hard for me to mentally get up for these things. There were certain events. I certainly did, um, you know, the Super Bowl, the last dance, um, the finals. Like, there was a lot of things that I was like, okay, I want to watch this. And even just as recently as obviously watching Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams. But a lot of it was, was kind of difficult. And I, I, it just felt like there was just this general fatigue that people had right. where I think we all wanted sports to come back. Like, in our minds, we were thinking, like, yes, it would be great to have a, a, some sort of something else to talk about and to be bombarded with other than hearing about how we're screwed in this pandemic. I completely understand that. But when it came on, I don't know if we had the same connection to it because we were reminded through the empty stadiums, through the virtual fans, we were reminded it's not normal. So I don't think it worked. I mean, frankly, and I I think it was rhythms too. I think there is something to be said for everybody's day was different. If you're used to go to the office, commute home while you're listening to sports radio and then sit down, crack a beer and watch a game and then start over the next day. There's just so many different patterns that got disrupted that I think the way people move and weave sports into their lives uh, felt very different. And sometimes going and and looking for the thing that you thought was an important part of your life, if it doesn't find you, you're just like, okay, I'm going to do this instead, right? I'm going to binge watch a show from 20 years ago in its entirety on Netflix instead. Um, right. Jamal, it was interesting to read for sure. And uh, I always appreciate you coming on. Always appreciate you doing awesome things. And uh, uh, thanks for the time. All right. And, and when it's all safe and everything, you know I'm going to expect a hookup on some tickets. I'm just I mean, you know. duh. <laughs> oh, these, these owner suites with me and Fowdy and Mia and, and obviously you know our counterpart, saying? Natalie Portman, who's just like us. Uh, it's going to be lit. It's going to be lit. So you will be there for sure. Uh, thanks, Jamal. All righty. Okay. Jamal Hill, you can read her in The Atlantic, see her on Vice. I mean, she's everywhere. She's crushing it. Spain and Fitz coming up. A little baseball. Is it a happy welcome back for a manager in the big leagues? It's us. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It is a good day. It's Spain and Fitz, solo Spain with you on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, and the ESPN app. Little ladies night here. Fitz wasn't able to make the show. He's doing fine. He'll be back soon. But uh, because I was flying solo and it's the first day of Women's History Month, it's ladies night. All my guests are some of my faves. And now to give me a little update on spring baseball, Jessica Mendoza joins us. Jess, what's going on? Ladies night. That's what Ladies I'm talking night. about. We, we need to do this first of every month. Who cares I agree. if women's history or not? Let's start us off right. We are actually <laughs> endeavoring, at least when I'm here. I'm taking a long-awaited and now, as it turns out, poorly timed vacation starting Wednesday. Um, I guess that's what owners do, right? You uh, you announce you announce that you're the boss and then you go on vacation. Um, but I, yeah. uh, I, uh, I, we're endeavoring, at least while I'm around, to try to have only female guests on the show for the month. We're seeing if we can make it work just to make sure we elevate it. all those ladies' voices. So um, you, are, you are part of it today. Um, let's get into spring baseball. Man, it's just, it feels like, and I was just talking to Jamel about this, um, our rhythms in sports got so disrupted last year that even something like baseball starting on time out in the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League still feels like, whoa, 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 I'm not ready for this. What's happening? What are the storylines? You know, all that stuff. Does it feel like it came on fast for you? 
Yeah, you know, because I, I kept thinking there's, okay, no, this isn't really going to happen. Like, we're not actually going to start right. spring on So I just kind of telling myself, like, maybe May 1st, May, mid-May will be more of, like, opening day. And that was, like, what all the rumors, I mean, I was even down in Arizona with a couple players um, doing a feature in January, and literally everyone was like, yeah, we're not going to start on time. Like, they're saying we are, and that was coming from the players, so... I, I do feel like it's kind of a, like, we, no, they're actually playing these spring games. It looks like opening day is a go. There's been fans in the stands at spring games, and it feels like baseball. And the weather turned, I mean, not maybe across the whole country, but <laughs> here out in the West Coast, <laughs> it feels like spring. Yeah, rub it in. It's fine. We hit like 45 yesterday, and I was outside all day, so <laughs> it's good okay, enough. I, I live in Oregon. <laughs> So I will preface that with like it's, it, it hit sixty today, and that was like summer. Like yeah. I was like, holy moly! So <laughs> we do get it does get cold. <laughs> you talked about the spring training games. There are some interesting rules. They're allowing managers to end an inning after a pitcher's thrown twenty pitches, no matter how many outs there are, no matter how many runners are on base. So if you're going to a spring ball game, you could get like a, a shortened game. You could get games where innings are stopped because of essentially like mercy rules. Uh, what is the reason for this? Is it just a feeling that after last year's odd season, they want to be more respectful of, of, of easing guys back in? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is they want a season and they want a full one. So spring training and ultimately, Sarah, I feel like some of these rules should absolutely stay. For anyone that's been to a spring training game, they're so much fun like totally different vibe, very intimate and kind of kick it on the grass, beer in hand. It's, it's such a, a beautiful scene. But after about two, three hours, fifth inning, when everyone you've ever heard of that's played baseball is now not only not in the game, but they are gone. Like they are literally on the golf course hitting balls. You're, you're done. Like you're over it. And the game, I feel like spring training games are just a little bit too long because the, the ends of them are always just kind of like get guys in, get it fast. Like the fans will let the whole air out of the stadium. So uh, the most important thing for Major League Baseball after last year is to be able to get a complete uh, schedule in, at least as close to 162 as possible, get their guys healthy. And so I, I think the whole mindset is like everyone, it's really for pitchers, especially this early on, pitchers need to get their amount of pitches. That's why they're like, okay, after you know Trevor Bauer gets his 20, like he's out, we're good. You get a couple of bats, let's call it a day. Yeah, there is some magic to be found in those late innings, though. We, we, as you know, my husband was running a spring training trip. This would have been year 16 in a row, like adult spring break. We get up to usually 80 people on Saturdays, but about 40 for most of the trip. And we tailgate and we have fun and whatever. And one year, years ago, Darwin Barney was called up uh, well, to, to bat in a spring game. And we just liked his name. So we decided f- for the rest of the game, as long as he was in, it was Darwin Barney. And then, you know, months later, we're at Wrigley and up, you know, this call up comes and we're like, it's it's our guy. It's Darwin Barney. Right. Like we were so fired up about him based solely on based solely on his name. Um, let's talk about you just mentioned Trevor Bauer. Jess Mendoza is with us here. Talk a little spring baseball as we get back into the baseball season on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, you just did an interview with one of the few female agents in, in baseball. And one of her clients is Trevor Bauer. Yeah, I mean, that's. You know, speaking of Women's History Month, is just trying to highlight a lot of these women that we've now seen, right, Sarah, in the last year especially, just take yeah. on these roles, all these first. Of course, you and I both are looking forward to the day when we're covering news and it's no longer, hey, this is the first ever blank, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, first ever woman to, you know, that it's just, hey, this is just kind of life, that people that do really good things are just going to be in positions of power. 
Um, but in this case, you know, Rachel Luba, Luba Sports, I mean, she launched this in 2019. She was a gymnast at UCLA. Um, so grew up very competitive gymnast, went to school with Trevor, met a lot of athletes, decided that she wanted to be a sports agent, but didn't want to go into kind of her own world of gymnastics, but rather enter something that had really no women. It gives you a little insight into her personality. Yeah, as if someone sure. basically sat her down. Uh, Trevor was out and I actually introduced her to an MLB agent while she was graduating college and was like, look, I, I think you're great. I think there's a lot of things that you can do and accomplish, but baseball is not a place for female agents. And he was actually, he was trying to be nice. He was trying to be, and that just, I think like a lot of women, we see it, it lit a fire in her. And she wasn't even like super interested, but after that conversation, she's like, oh, heck no. Like I am going to be a sports agent. And so she took on not only Trevor Bauer, 2019, when she launched her own brand, Yasiel Puig, we all know, especially LA area, um, ex-Dodger. Um, she's got some female athletes as well. But the biggest thing, you know, her signing Trevor this past off season um, very recently to the Los Angeles Dodgers, the biggest contract. I mean, it was just it was just cool to see her in person, Sarah, in in Arizona in January. Just the frustration, but the excitement, just the up and down roller coaster. Yeah, of doing doing deal the job. Yeah, Austin, yeah, right in twenty twenty, going Man. into twenty twenty one. And she's got quite a job in front of her with Bauer and everything that comes along with him and the, and the new team and, and the expectations. So something to keep an eye on for sure. Well, uh, enjoy this as we ramp back up before you're thrust back into the craziness of the season. Appreciate you giving us some time, Jess. Sarah, I love it. You keep pushing. I love it. Well, I always do. <laughs> Jess Mendoza with us. She's brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. Um, yeah, baseball. I mean, the thing about baseball is whether you're ready for it or not, the, it always ushers in spring, better weather, especially in the cold weather places like Chicago, and it gets you fired up for escaping the house, especially during COVID. Uh, coming up on Spain and Fit Solo Spain tonight, the next segments for all the ladies in the place with style and grace. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain solo tonight on ESPN Radio, the Sirius XM Channel 80, and the ESPN app. I keep saying the Sirius XM Channel 80 because if you've noticed, for years we've said ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius. And they flipped them, and I Ron Burgundy that thing every time, like right off the screen as if I don't have a brain and I can't tell myself, hey, don't say the Sirius. It's tough, guys. It's tough sledding out here. Solo Spain. Uh, but it is the first day of Women's History Month. It's Ladies' Night. We have incredible guests coming on, which is making it a little easier on me. Uh, Fitz should be back soon. Uh, all is good with Fitz. Uh, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Speaking of ladies and bosses who I've had on all night, just a string of boss ladies, this one is one of my favorites. Sam Rappaport, who has done incredible things for the changing face and has been the cause of the changing face of the NFL. And we've had her on many times. She's coming off one of her biggest successes yet. Yet another women's careers in football forum. Sam, thanks for the time. Shara, thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. I feel like your title gets longer every time you come on, but I think it is currently Senior <laughs> Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. That's right. Nailed it. So tell me about this form. I did a story about this a couple years ago, and we had you on a couple years ago, and you were excited to have a couple teams and a couple coaches come on, and you had these pre-vetted women who were already working in football across the country, ready for a job in the NFL as soon as you were offering, and 
Now it's just exploded. The names that you had and the teams that you had this year were incredible. Yeah, absolutely. We've come a long way from year one. And I remember you covered the show uh, from your podcast back at the Pro Bowl. But yeah. we started with a couple clubs, you know, one owner, one head coach, one general manager. And now we really blew the program up. And now we had, I think, five owners that either participated or tuned in. We had seven head coaches, seven general managers, 28 teams. And since we started five years ago, we've had 118 women who have landed jobs in football through the program. I will tell you that I got to sit in on part of of the first day this year, and I'm coming in understanding a whole lot about the goal of it and the people that you're setting up, these very talented and and qualified women with some of the higher-ups and the people making decisions. But for those who might have a cynical view of it, if they were to sit in, the questions being asked, the detail mm-hmm. of the responses and the respect going both ways from both the people who are showing up and wanting to find out how they make that get that big break and someone like Bill Belichick, right, like who just wants to coach people up and uh, according to all reports was nice and personable and super helpful. Sarah, that panel was so – it was a breakout session was so incredible. I wish you could have heard it. It was, you know, Coach Vrabel and Coach Belichick just talking ball with female coaches for an hour. And the two of them were absolutely incredible. But Coach Belichick almost had a dad-like demeanor to him where, you know, one of the cornerback coach for Oberlin College asked this very detailed question. She broke out a PowerPoint. She started breaking down a cover five. (laughs) He had this big smile on his face. And it wasn't that smile that we get from men sometimes. It's like, wow, a woman could talk ball. He was watching it saying, like, keep going, keep going. You got this. That's a fantastic question. And he was really talking her through it. And, you know, there, there were so many smiles and so many, such a great conversation that you could have put 10 of, you know, 10 men, 10 female, 10 of any gender in that room. And it would have been the same conversation. It was a, a beautiful thing to experience. Sam Rappaport of the NFL is here with us. You obviously work in diversity, equity, inclusion outside of gender as well. And I wonder, this is very clearly about pipelines to me, right? That it is very difficult for these women in these positions at these colleges across the country to know how to get that next step to talk to NFL coaches, GMs, owners, et cetera. Does that still work in terms of of arguing that the lack of diversity in terms of coaches of color? Because a lot of times when I talk to people around football, they don't believe anymore that the pipeline is the issue for coaches of color. Right. The pipeline isn't the issue, the issue for people of color and for women, because we've proven time and time again that they're all there. The, the biggest challenge is that women and people of color don't run in the same circles as the people that are currently in power, if we're talking about it from a generalistic standpoint. And so, you know, what our programs attempt to do with, with uh, our football operations group runs the quarterback summit for quarterback coaches. We run this for the women's program. The, the common denominator here is get them in the room with people who could potentially hire them, allow them to strike organic conversations to create connections and, you know, so they can potentially be put on short lists for future jobs. And that really is the secret sauce for what we do and why we've had success. So, Sam, the difference is that the pipeline is is a suggestion that the talent doesn't exist. What you're saying is the pipeline hasn't been the issue. It's the spaces that they move in. So when we use that word, we need to speak very specifically and intentionally about what we mean by it. It's it's not connecting. It, it is connecting them to each other. But if you're coming from a position of power, you can't use the excuse of I can't find anyone or no, you know. No, no question. When football jobs open up, they are not posted online, right? It's about who you know. 
And so if they're not posted online and you need to fill them very quickly, you fill them very quickly with three guys that you have on your short list who you may have met at Combine or East West Shrine Game or whatever. Or the golf club or someone's son. (laughs) Or someone's son, exactly, the nepotism factor. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get names on short lists that where they previously could not have got on. And so, you know, we started to do that. And, you know, right after the forum, the day after six clubs reached out to us for resumes of some of the participants and a couple offer, I'm not allowed to mention them yet, but a couple offers have already been made. Some of them, Sarah, to your earlier point, were based on questions that they asked. That was kind of their interview. Someone asked such a fantastic question that one of the clubs reached out to us and said, what is her deal? And, you know, is she in football right now? And an offer has already been put out and it's in the works right now. So we've seen a lot of magic come out of just get them in the room and let them impress. And, and they get the job done. This isn't us. This isn't the league office getting anything done. This is the women impressing the executives and the executives making the hires. It's Spain and Fitz Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio. We've got Sam Rappaport on the Goodyear hotline. Uh, you know, I have to say, like, you you take yourself out of that equation. And, of course, it is qualified people being met up with the people who make decisions. But take me through what it must feel like to have something like Coach Arian's staff be the one that wins the Super Mm -hmm. Bowl this year in terms of the work that you've been doing for the last however many years. Oh, it just underscores that diversity wins, right? If you look at not only Coach Arian's staff, but the Kansas City Chiefs, they have, you know, two full-time female trainers, black coordinators, right? Like, both teams really exemplified what true diversity can be. When you get the best people in the room, you win. And so it was fantastic that the Buccaneers won. But if you look at most of the clubs who made playoffs this year and who were successful are the ones that considered a larger talent pool than the others. Yeah. It's just, I know you, you don't, you don't take, you don't take compliments very well. You always try to pass them (laughs) off on somebody else, but I'm telling you, Listen, Sam, it's very easy for me, especially in terms of the work that I do in this business, to be cynical about the big men's professional sports. And the NFL is one of them. And some of the things that have happened around women and the treatment of women has made it easy for people to scoff at any efforts in the opposite direction. But you individually and the work that you do within this group that you work in and the department you work in and specifically the Women's Forum and other creative ways that you're coming up with to change the face. I mean, it's remarkable to to imagine that. Of course, we mentioned the women coaching and and officiating in the Super Bowl, but it was not a story of, I wonder how many players hate her or no one's going to listen, any of that. And just a couple years ago, it was all those anonymous surveys with coaches saying, would you have a woman on staff? No, I don't think we could be ourselves. It just feels like it's a different Mm -hmm. world. I completely agree. And I'm Canadian, Sarah. We're a humble group, so forgive me. But I, we got to work on that. I'm from Chicago. If you don't know how awesome we are, we're going to tell you. (laughs) <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is remarkable when you see how many hands went up the first year. And we got a lot of questions from the media about, is this window dressing? Are you just doing this, you know, for, for other reasons? And fast forward five years later, and we have, you know, Commissioner Goodell and Jane Goodell moderating a panel and getting involved. We have Coach Belichick, Coach Vrabel. We have three owners. Like, it, this really is the NFL coming together and saying, we all agree that we need to be better at this and we need to get it done. And so they're all volunteering their time to do it. And then they're walking the walk and hiring them. So it is, yeah. I, I, I certainly do have moments of stepping back and realize how far we've come in this space and how far we have to go because there's way too many firsts. We have to cross, you know, have to check off this list before, you know, we can start to be proud of ourselves. But it's not lost on me, you know, how much we've done in this space and hopefully the standard we're setting for not only other sports, but other organizations who can look at this and say, just get them in the room. Just get them in the room with people who could hire them. 
We are out of time, but I have a quick question for you that I'm going to unfairly ask you with time running out. When when somebody says to you, if there aren't enough diversity coaches in terms of people of color and they represent such a large portion of the players, why should we care about having women coaches? What do you say? I mean, yeah, 75% of the women that we had at this program were women of color with an emphasis on black women. And so we make sure that this effort is not a white women's effort. This is an all women's effort, and the majority of women are people of co- are women of color. So I would say that you know the concerted effort that we need to make to ensure all people of color, specifically Black candidates, you know get opportunities is, is of equal importance regardless of gender. Yeah, and I would also say it's usually a trick of the dominating class to make the marginalized people fight over a couple spots as if those spots are limited. When it's up to them to decide how many of those spots there are, right? You should fight each other about whether women or black people should get these jobs instead of being like, you should all get the jobs and we should stop hoarding all of them. But we're out of time. No question. Sam, (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) for the time and for being so incredible. It's been so fun to watch from afar and it's it's really making a difference. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it so much, Sarah. Thanks for telling the story. Sam Rappaport with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, follow her on, on Twitter, too, because she's amplifying a lot of this work in case you miss it the first go-round. Coming up, find out why one hawk will not be soaring in Atlanta anymore. Spain and Fitz coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Hello, Spain. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, and the ESPN app. We're presented by Progressive. Going to get into a little NBA talk here. I was uh, excited to settle in to watch my, my Bulls. Uh, was that last night or the night before? Who can keep track? Time is a flat circle. Uh, and the Raptors' COVID situation caught up to them yet again. Um, so we're we're absolutely going to keep an eye on what's going on with the Raptors and that. And I, I saw someone bring up a point very, very smartly and and perhaps awkward for, for those who have been consistently in defense of the NBA and how they run things is even the initial pushback to – uh, playing without a bubble and the many COVID positives that have happened and suspended or postponed games, they still aren't getting the kind of criticism that the NFL or baseball got in terms of demands to put the season on pause. And I don't know if it's just that they earned so much goodwill from the persi- uh, precision of the bubble season that people sort of are giving them a little bit of grace here, but it is strange to kind of look at how critical we were of other sports and their handling. And as games continue to be postponed, as, as multiple players and coaches are out, um, that same, that same criticism doesn't seem to be there for the NBA. I do think it's a, probably a double standard being applied because of how much respect there is for the relationship between the players and owners and, uh, and for, 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 you know, Adam Silver as well. Uh, let's get into the news of the day in the NBA, and that is uh, the firing of Hawks coach Lloyd Pierce. Uh, not even quite halfway into a season. Uh, they've had injuries. They've had COVID issues, um, as has everybody. Um, but I think the expectation was that they were going to take a step forward, and it, it just didn't happen. 14-20, and 20, 11th in the East, uh, lost to Miami on Sunday night. It was their 11th loss with a fourth-quarter lead. And uh, I guess they just decided to, to bring the hook. Nate McMillan, assistant coach, is going to is going to serve as the interim. And uh, I think this came as a pretty big surprise to people who thought Lloyd Pierce would get a little more time, especially because of how adored he is for his work in the community, his influence around the Hawks. Uh, this is what Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA insider, had to say about it on SportsCenter. I think there was a feeling in the organization, you know, that Lloyd Pierce's voice was not resonating the way they hoped it would 
in that locker room anymore. And so uh, they decided here just ahead of an all-star game in Atlanta, uh, which is certainly interesting timing when, when you're the host team and it's, and it's your showcase. Uh, they would like Nate McMillan to become the interim coach, uh, 16 years as a head coach in the NBA. He's on Lloyd Pierce's staff. Uh, I know he was meeting with Lloyd Pierce and the rest of the staff to talk through it with Lloyd. He was very loyal, has been very loyal uh, to Pierce um, and so, uh, you know, for Atlanta, uh, that may be the short-term move here. Nate McMillan in his interim coach, if he chooses to do it. Yeah, I mean, you get that extra time uh, around that uh, All-Star break for the for for the new coach, the interim coach, to take over for McMillan to get his bearings. But to be fair, it is a bit disappointing. At least it's not a regular All-Star year when you would be the host for your city and your team. Uh, but it is, I'm sure, still a bummer uh, to lose the job and to lose it with this timing it's Spain and Fitz solo Spain on ESPN radio ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 we're presented by progressive guests join us on the Goodyear hotline let's do a little Monday roundup brought to you by AutoZone get in the zone AutoZone our Saturday NBA game on ABC was a good one we saw um, a battle between Luca and James Harden with Doncic leading the Mavs to a 115-98 win uh, that was the end of the Nets eight game win streak Meanwhile, Dallas winning seven of their last nine to get them back to 500. And Luka doing his Luka thing after a little bit of a slower start than many thought, but 27 points on 11 of 21 shooting, three of 10 from three, and had six rebounds, seven assists, and two steals. Very similar kind of uh, 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 line for for Harden in the loss. 29 points, seven boards, six assists. He was a nine for 21 and made four threes, but he was kind of rolling solo there with uh, both of his two other of the three-headed monster out in this game. It's not a very accurate representation of which of these teams would win in a series with all the stars out, but it did result in James Harden getting a real good look at Luka and having some pretty nice things to say about him. Luka Doncic, he's, he's you know, obviously he's, he plays at his own pace and, um, I mean, there are some similarities, you know, he just, he never, he never lets anyone speeds him up and he gets what he wants, you know, and that's, uh, that's rare at a, for a guy, you know, at a young age, I think he's what, 21 years old, um, to be able to dictate the game and control the game like he does. So, uh, obviously we all know he has a very, very bright future and, um, the Mavs got a special one. They do. Um, the question is, do they have the right pieces around? Luka Doncic to really put him to good use and make sure they take advantage of him throughout his entire window. Um, You never want to find that you're looking at a player like an Anthony Davis, for instance, that's in a place too long without a real support that would give them a chance to contend. This is a very strange season to make big decisions about things like that because of the short off season, because of the strange in and outs of players and coaches because of COVID and even the schedule being different. But we've heard all the rumors around Kristaps Porzingis, Mark Cuban, you know, outright denying that they're looking to send him anywhere. Uh, This is a guy who was outstanding in the bubble, suffered a knee injury, and then in a very quick turnaround back to the court has not been given a whole lot of time to work his way back to what we saw in the bubble. Now, if the inside of the Mavs looks at Porzingis and says, we don't think he's getting back to to the peak bubble, if this is who he is from now on, if the accumulation of injuries uh, is going to make him the player we're seeing now where he can't can't guard anyone, then we find somewhere to send him and we find the right stars to put around Luka. You know, Porzingis is on a five-year, $158 million max that he signed back in 2019. 
Um, he's in the middle of that. And I don't know how much talking about the trade affects his play. This is, uh, yet again, obviously he was traded from the Knicks, um, an up-and-down player. But I do think that the Mavs need to make some decisions about the pieces around Luka to make sure that they are taking care of the real one that they got. And I don't envy them having to make those kind of decisions in a year with as many things going on as this one. I mean, you look over across the way at the Nets, talk about a team that's had COVID issues, injury issues, uh, Kyrie disappearing without uh, warning issues, um, and yet still uh, obviously the top of their game in, in recent in recent days. So um, those big decisions are going to have to be made whether or not the Mavs want to do it now. Um, and Porzingis uh, could, be the, could be the one who suffers because of it. Coming up, the biggest Chicago star to play at MSG since Jordan joins me next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Solo Spain tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget the college basketball season is heating up. That means the Wendy's Wooden Watch has begun. Go to ESPN.com, search Wooden Watch for the list of the Wooden Award late season top 20 nominees like Illinois' Ayo Dosunmu and UConn's Paige Beckers to watch as this season rolls on. It's the John R. Wooden Award presented by Wendy's. Joining me now on the Goodyear Hotline, fellow Red Stars owner and part of the uh, women's group that played on Madison Square Garden ice last night, the first time professional women's hockey has ever played there. It's Kendall Coyne-Schofeld. Kendall, thanks for the time. Thanks, Sarah, for having me. Excited to be on the same team together. I know, and we had a long day. You had an even longer day than I did after our press conferences and everything else for the Red Stars. You were working on behalf of the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. Let's talk about last night, the Dream Gap Tour. It's the second season uh, of you guys uh, getting out and playing some of these games. Last night, it was two of the hubs, New Hampshire and Minnesota, playing at Madison Square Garden. I have to admit, and I know my Menchies are going to blow up, I have never been to MSG. I still have not been to a game there. What was it like to play there? Well, add it to your bucket list, Sarah, because it's incredible. (laughs) Um, I had the chance to go there after the 2018 Olympics. The New York Rangers honored our team when we returned back from Korea. Uh, And then I was able to call a game there with the San Jose Sharks broadcast team last year. So I officially completed the trifecta last night by (laughs) being able to play at Madison Square Garden, honored broadcast, and then played. But it was uh, was an incredible moment to be a part of history. I mean, first women's hockey game to ever be played at Madison Square Garden. You know, the the world's most famous arena. When you think about the most iconic people in the world who have come through that building, and our list is now... uh, a part of it. Do we lose Kendall? Is Kendall still there? Yeah, can you hear me? There we go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the PWHPA. So we hear a lot, of course, about in women's soccer, especially the U.S. women's national team, their fight for equal pay. We don't hear as much about the union for the women's hockey players. It's 125 of the best players in the world. Uh, and the goal is, of course, to advance equity and opportunity. What What is, what is you know, the main focus of that group and how do these games you know, in partnership with teams help you achieve your mission? Well, I think when, when we look at what the NWSL has and, and the development and the growth over the the last couple of years, I mean, look at you and I, right, investing in the Chicago Red Stars, we are still trying to create and fight for that infrastructure that allows people to come to the table, that allows the the proper infrastructure for support resources to be able to put a professional product on the table that affords women the opportunity to be professional athletes, not have two and three jobs, not just practice twice a week, not 
you know, not be professional. So, you know, we're trying to create an environment that fosters professionalism, that, that allows women to play hockey as a living. Um, and, and, you know, part of our mission is to close that gap. That's why we call it the Dream Gap Tour, is to close that gap between what young boys and what young to be. And it, it pains me to look at a young girl who, who loves the game of hockey and say, you know what, you don't have the opportunity to make a living playing it because you're a girl. Because right now that's the reality and that's what our group's trying to change. Yeah, Kendall, you know, your husband being an NFL player, Michael Schofield, it's within your own home. It's not even friends. It's not, uh, you know, compatriots across social media. In your house, you get to see that you're working just as hard as he is to be a professional athlete. And he doesn't have to have a bunch of other jobs. He doesn't have to pay for his own, you know, training and everything else. Uh, It's part of the reason that you both decided to get in on the Red Stars ownership. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, you nailed it right on the head. He was equally, if not more excited to be a part of this group because he sees how hard I work. He sees how hard other elite athletes who happen to be women have to work because of their gender. And and he's the first one to say how how lucky he is, how easy he has. And I'm the first one to say he deserves it all. And, And so do we. So, you know, I think by being able to see how he's treated through the, the National Football League, it opens my eyes as to what is possible, what is needed in order for us to be ultimately successful. And so, um, you know, when the opportunity came to join the ownership group alongside you and the Chicago Red Stars, it was a no-brainer for both of us because we both live that gap and we're yeah. trying to bridge that gap together. Kendall Coin Schofield is with me here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I remember, like, it's interesting to look at the differences, too, in the way that the public has reacted because there's been so much emphasis on the women's soccer team because they're an extremely likable group. They don't have the helmets and the pads that you guys have. They're very recognizable, and they have these superstars that transcend the sport, whether it's Abby Wambach or Alex Morgan or Megan Rapinoe. U.S. hockey, a lot of what goes on in terms of the inequities there is even more egregious than the soccer side. I remember back in 2014, they were announcing the uniforms for the hockey teams for Sochi, the men's and women's teams. They did not invite anyone from the women's team to unveil the jersey. And then they had stitching on both men's and women's jerseys, listing all of the Team USA gold medal winning teams in hockey, but just the men's. Like, the idea that you Mm -hmm. could have even, like, even if there's two people in a room, and I know there's more than two people in the room making those kind of decisions, but let's just say there were only two there's no way both of them are dumb enough to not think, huh, I wonder if we should invite the women and if the jerseys that they're wearing should have the gold medal that they won on it. Like, it's just wild to me how there are still spaces like this, especially spaces that are about, um, you know, performance for athletes of both genders, and they would just be completely tone deaf to it. Like, how frustrating is that for you, especially yep. if you look across to progress elsewhere? It's extremely frustrating, Sarah, and I think that's why you and I and Michael and, and the, the other owners that join the Red Stars want to have a seat at that table. So things like that don't happen. So the decisions are, are being made that are fair, that are right, that, that you know, foster uh, equality and equity among sport. And it, that was an extremely frustrating moment to be a part of it. You know, I was, I was even more sad for the 98ers who, you know, really catapulted our dreams to want to play in the Olympics to to want to be a part of team USA. And then they were disregarded and belittled like that. It was, it was hard to see. And then to think, you know, 20 years later and a, you know, a short four years after that moment where we're wearing our own gold medals around our neck and why, because we were inspired by that 98 team that, 
wasn't given, you know, half of the resources, the, the support and, and everything that we have, even less. Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, it, and the other thing, too, going back to the Players Association, why I'm so proud of our group and the fight that we have. You know how many times people tell us, oh, you, you don't deserve to play in NHL buildings. You don't deserve to do this. You don't deserve to do that. Well, here we are, a group of 125 players with an operations consultant, a board of directors, and very little infrastructure. And here we are playing in Madison Square Garden on NHL Network and next week playing in the United Center in our hometown on NBC Sports. And so for all the people that tell us we can't do it, here we are. Go watch. We're doing it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And honestly, so much of the, the focus needs to be on telling the stories of where the inequities lie and telling the stories of the incredible athletes and, and, and you know, the stakes that you're playing for. Because um, once people learn that, they're in, right? We watch curling and bobsled and all these things that we don't know much about around the Olympics because the stories are told to us. And we need to keep doing that, obviously, with hockey and with soccer, um, and everything else. I'm so excited to be on your team. I have to ask you before I let you go. You've been working with the Blackhawks, the first female coach hired by that team. What's the work been like so far as you're obviously balancing that with uh, being a lady boss owner and calling games and playing at MSG? Uh, it's been incredible. Uh, I think we're all excited to see uh, you know how well the Blackhawks are doing right now. But I've been balancing um, you know working with our prospects remotely, whether it's on Zoom, breaking down their film, having film sessions with them. And then in addition, I'm able to get into Rockford one to two times a week to get on the ice with our AHL affiliate, the Rockford Ice Hogs, uh, and join their practices and skill sessions. And then also, um, I, I am so excited about this. We launched a girls program uh, two weeks ago called CCM Get in the Game. We had over 230 girls registered, brand new hockey players. Uh, due to COVID, we couldn't let all 230 in, but we're going to find a way to, to get as many girls in as, as we can. So this was uh, the first first step in a lot of their introduction to the game of hockey. So um, also continuing my role as youth hockey girl specialist and, and implementing new programs uh, throughout the Chicagoland area uh, with the Blackhawks. So it's so been busy, cool. but it's, it's been phenomenal. And today was an awesome day joining the Red Stars ownership group alongside you. Awesome. Man, you do it all. You do it all. It's so impressive. Yeah. Kendall, thanks for the time. Look forward to uh, getting in the work together uh, going forward. Appreciate it. For sure. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Kendall Coyne Schofield, part owner of a professional sports team, the Chicago Red Stars. Uh, coming up, we'll get into uh, Russ and he's causing fights between mayors now. It's all coming up on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You know, last week, Fitz and I were arguing over where Russ might go. I wanted the Bears. I gave a stump speech. He, of course, wanted the Raiders. And then Mina Kimes came on and kind of just dampened our enthusiasm a little. She said this might happen down the line, but I really don't see it happening this year. And yet here we are, several days later, and the hot stove around Russell Wilson hasn't gotten any cooler. In fact, now we've got mayors lobbying for his attention. It's Spain and Fitz, Solo Spain. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Here is Mayor LaToya Cantrell of New Orleans putting in her best bid. I've heard the rumors now, and I want to make sure that you understand that the city of New Orleans is a place for you and your beautiful family. I'm LaToya Cantrell, Mayor of the city of New Orleans, and I know, Mr. Wilson, that you will be a great addition to the New Orleans Saints. And more importantly, I can see us in that number winning that Super Bowl championship once again. And what else I can see? 
the Mrs. Sierra Wilson herself on that main stage during the historical Essence Festival. Just wanted to stop in to let you know that we not only admire you, we, we want you. Love you, man. Love Sierra. Love your beautiful family. The culture of the city of New Orleans awaits you. <laughs> First of all, very smart pitch, right? You got to appeal to the, the wife, especially when she's a star as well, having her prime time in the middle of the Essence Festival. It's a good pitch. It really is. And it must feel nice to not only have fan bases and players for teams trying to earn your affection and get you to come, but mayors, mayors. And of course, the response to that from the Seattle mayor, not great, not great. Uh, wasn't as impressed by the pitch, said to keep your eyes off him. Right? We got people going back and forth. Seattle's mayor, uh, Jenny Durkin, basically telling her, you know, quit being so thirsty for our QB. That, that's our that's our guy. Uh, she said, I love you, mayor, but keep your eyes off Russ. His home is Seattle. Then said, you know, Seattle's in the market for an NBA team. Don't make me go there. Yoinks! A threat across the bow to the Pelicans. I don't think we've heard any rumors that the Pelicans are up for sale or might end up in Seattle, but I like it. Listen, if someone's going to try to do you dirty, do it right back. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, Just wondering where Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, is in all this. What are we doing, Lori? Putting together a little care package of some deep dish and some portillos? Or what are we waiting for here? Shoot our shot. What do we got to lose? Another year of Mitchell Trubisky, I guess. Spain and Fitz, solo Spain tonight. Fitz will be back soon. I will not be. This is my last show before I take a little vacation. Uh, But tomorrow night, there'll be some college basketball action. Georgia Tech hosting Duke. Coverage at 7.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Speaking of Russ, a new team entering the fray from that original list. Um, The Cowboys, one of the four that Russ said he'd be willing to play for. And many said... It seems like, you know, they've got their situation figured out with Dak. Not the contract, not the length, but that's their guy. Now people are arguing maybe they should use the whole situation with Russ as a means to get Dak to sign on for a more team-friendly deal. Here's what Kimberly Martin said on KJNZ. If I'm Jerry Jones and I'm trying to milk this situation and find any leverage I can, I use Russ as leverage with Dak at the very least. Like, even though I said, like, Dak is my guy, maybe, you know, I make a few calls. Like, maybe I let it filter out. Like, the Cowboys have expressed interest in Russell, you know, kind of thing. Maybe that spurs some action here. Don't know if it will. But if I'm Jerry, yeah. I mean, the chance to get Russell, yeah, I think people debate whether Russell is better than Dak, right? There are people, because I've had conversations <laughs> over the past few days with people about whether Russell's better than Dak. And they bring up the point that Russell's had a better supporting cast over the last few years. So, you know, is it apples to apples? No. But I think Russell represents one of the big available QBs who could match the appeal of the star, like match the star power of the star. Dak is the Cowboys, right? But if you're going to replace him with somebody, that's instant juice. It is instant juice. It's not a bad idea. I heard Dan Orlovsky say today, I think it was on Get Up, that if they do this at all, if they even try to use it as bait, fully intending to keep Dak around, but they just want to use Russ to get the price down, that he should walk away. That Dak should be so insulted that they even deigned speak to someone else. 
that he should take that as a sign that they're not that into him and he should move on. I don't agree with that. Listen, I think there's plenty of arguments to be made about the way the Cowboys have handled Dak. And I think in the end, Dak is going to get his, his talent, his skill level, the stats we've seen, the dependency, the consistency across each league, minus injury. He's going to get his. Whether he gets it from the Cowboys is the question, but I don't think if you're in this period where you don't know if you're getting Dak or for how long, you're allowed to engage with quarterbacks when a guy like Russell Wilson names your team in the mix of teams he'd be willing to go to. I think you do your due diligence and you can't take it too personally if you're Dak. This is not a guy that has a steady footing with the Cowboys right now. This is not a guy that's a year into a four-year deal and all of a sudden they're looking around and and giving eyes at another quarterback. This has been the big question of the NFL for the last couple seasons. I mean, we don't think the Cowboys front office is going to let him get away. We don't think that they're willing to lowball him enough to cause him to leave. But if they're engaging in real conversations with him, and understand this, the leverage is already so different from Dak because of the injury, right? Whatever he's betting on himself, there has to be a tiny kernel of doubt about just who he is when he comes back from such a serious injury. And that may cause him to prize solidity and length of contract and guaranteed money more than the big number that maybe he was aiming for before. If he can get a longer deal which is what the Cowboys always wanted and feel like no matter what state he comes back in, he'll have a lot of guaranteed money and be in a better position. Maybe he'll take that now. So this is a different situation than it was last off season. At least if you believe that Dak Prescott has any doubt whatsoever about who he'll be when he returns. So keeping that in mind, if the Cowboys don't have any issues with his medical uh, and his ankle surgeries and everything else, if they don't think he, they should be concerned about the state that he comes back in, and they should be offering up something you know, really worthy of the talent that they've got. But in the meantime, if they don't know what Prescott's response is going to be, I got no problem with them talking to Russ. To me, it's not as cut and dried as Arlovsky made it out to be. This isn't a married couple with one string. This, this couple is still dating, in my opinion, the Cowboys and Dak. They should be married by now. Cowboys are having trouble finding a ring. But while they're looking for it and while they're yet to truly propose and marry, I, I got no problem with them giving giving Russ a look. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, solo on ESPN Radio. If you're wondering why I sounded winded for this entire segment, it's because during the last segment, you might have heard my dogs just losing their minds during my interview with Kendall. It's because there was a delivery person at my door uh, delivering champagne that someone had one hour sent to my door, which was super nice. But they weren't going away until I went down there. So I went down three flights of stairs, and then I got there, and the woman's like, you need ID for me to give this to you. I'm like, I'm in the middle of hosting a radio show. Look at my face. I'm old. She was like, I cannot give this to you. So then I sprinted back up the three flights of stairs to get my ID, and then I sprinted back down the three flights of stairs. Then I was like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And then I sprinted back up the three flights. And so here I am, out of breath. But I got some champagne to drink as soon as the segment's over. I would like you to play me the song I requested before the show started tonight right now. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.